here who's perfect? Okay. So Paul, you can take the rest of the day off, okay? I mean, the reality is we know that we're not, we're not perfect. Although some of us would like others to think that we are perfect, but we know we're not perfect. I suspect that most all of us think, though, that, that while we're not perfect, we're better than some. Maybe better than some of the folks who live down the street, or maybe even better than some of the folks that were sitting there in church. But we know that we're, we're not perfect, and that there have been times where we've made kind of a mess of things, or that we have sinned. Now, the word sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archer's term. So you picture a target with a bullseye. We're aiming for that with our life, and to sin is to miss the mark, okay? to go astray. And, and so we've all had moments in time in our lives when we've missed the mark, when we have done something that we regret doing, that we wish we would not have done. Or that when you've done something that hurt another person, maybe it's that we've said something that hurt another person. Because we said it, there's a little distance that comes between us and the person. We're not quite as close as we otherwise would have been. And because God loves that person and has worked in that person's life, there's a little something that comes between us and God, too. A little distance comes between us and God. Maybe it's that there have been times where we haven't been fully honest with ourselves or with other people. And because of that, there's been some hurt that's come about. And, and so some distance comes between us and others. And because well, God loves other people too, there's some distance comes between us and, and God. There have been times in our lives where it's been all about me or all about you. There have been times in our lives where we've taken no prisoners. There have been times in our lives when maybe we've been a little envious or a little prideful or a little greedy. There have been times in our lives where we've been more interested in what it is that we want to do than what God would have us to do. This is the stuff that Paul was talking about when he said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can make a little bit of a mess of our lives, and some of us have made bigger messes than others, but we all know that there's a little mess there. We all know broken relationships, people who've been hurt along the way. It's a common experience of us all. And we can't just make it go away. I mean, we could pretend it's not there, but that doesn't change the fact that it is. We can't just make it go away. And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that what, what we cannot do for ourselves, God does for us. Remember John chapter 3, where we hear, God so loved the world that God sent Christ into the world not to condemn us for the mess, but that through him we might be saved from it all. Now theologically, what I'm talking about now is, is justification. And justification has to do with that moment when we accept the gift that God is offering us because of what Christ has done for us. It has to do with us accepting forgiveness for the messes we've made of things. Accepting that forgiveness that is possible because of what Christ has done. In a moment we accept that, we accept 
some new life that comes to us. This new life, the stuff that kept us from God, has now been taken. And we can be in relationship, draw near to God, close to God again. A new life begins. We call this salvation. We call it new birth. Theologically, we call it justification. We are made right with God by the grace of God because of what Christ has done. We simply accept the gift. But that's not all God wants to do for us. God doesn't just want to make us right with God. God has so much more that God wants to do for us, so many of the blessings that God wants for our lives. And when we start talking about the rest of what God wants to do after justification, well, the word we use for that is sanctification. Sanctification has to do with how it is that God is going to grow us. Once we become Christians, well, we're babies in the faith. We're just starting out. But God's going to grow us up to maturity. And as we grow, we're going to sin less and less and less. And we're going to draw closer and closer and closer to God. This is the work of God. And as we draw closer and closer and closer to God, there comes a point in time where we can be perfected in love. Christian perfection has to do with God accomplishing what God is setting out to accomplish in our lives. It has to do with us growing to a point where we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. We love each other with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, our life defined by, by love. John Wesley talked a lot about this thing called Christian perfection. John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist Church, and he talked about it a lot in part because it's biblical, because it helps to explain our experience as Christians of how we grow closer to God and how we get more and more concerned about sin and want to get it out of our lives. It explains all of that. But also he talked about it a lot because at the time where he was preaching, there were preachers who were solely concerned with justification. They just wanted to get people saved. That was it. Just get people to believe and they're saved. And that's great, but there was no attention given to what comes after that, to the Christian life and all that that means. And so people were coming to the faith and then left on their own and gradually they were beginning to fade away. And Wesley wanted folks to know that the Christian life is all about yearning, yearning for more and more of the things of God, yearning for more and more of this thing that we call Christian perfection, where our lives are defined by the love of God. We yearn for that. We strive for that. It's the Christian life, what it means to follow Jesus. So, we're about ready to read a parable, and... As you hear this parable, it may not sound to you like we're talking about justification or sanctification or Christian perfection, but now you're prepared. Okay? So we ready? Courtney, will you read for us? Out of the house and sat beside the sea, such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there, while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, 
a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on a path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly, but since they had no depth of soil, when, they, when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought them forth again, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Courtney. And great job. This is the first time serving as liturgist. Did a great job. Good job. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto thee, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I love this parable, the parable of the sower. In fact, out of all of the parables that Jesus told, this parable is the parable that I have preached on the most often. Less than two years ago, I preached a four-part series of sermons just on this parable alone. And I didn't even explore all there is to explore in this parable. We didn't, we didn't talk about how God is an eternal optimist. Let's remember the parable. So in the parable, a sower goes out to sow some seeds. And as he sows, some of the seed falls upon hard, crusty ground. You know, ground beaten down by life. We know people like that, right? People have been beaten down by life. People who might say something like, don't confuse me with the facts, I've already made up my mind. People who are unwilling to change. A sower goes out to sow some seeds, and as he sows, some of the seed falls upon hard, crusty ground beaten down by life. And as he sows, some of the seed falls upon rocky ground, where there's no depth of soil. The, 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 the seed gives root, and the plant springs up, but when the sun comes out, the plant withers, because there's no depth. And we know people like that, too, people with no depth, shallow people, shallow who people who just give way to, from one trend to another trend to another trend without being reflective, without thinking about what's most important in life. We know people who go about life without really thinking about what is it that's most important in life. A sower goes out to sow some seed, and as he sows, some of the seed falls upon rocky ground, hard, crusty ground beaten down by life, and some of the seed falls upon rocky ground where there's no depth of soil, and some of the seed falls upon weedy ground. And we know people like that too, weedy people, right? The weeds represent temptations of the world, and it's so easy for people to give in to the temptations of the world. It's so easy for Christians to give in to the temptations of the world. In fact, it's easy for Christians to try to live with one foot in this world and one foot in the kingdom of God. And yes, we believe in Jesus. Ah, but money or success or appearance, those things are important to me too, maybe even more important. And the weeds begin to grow up and they can choke out the plant. A sower goes out to sow some seed, and as he sows, some of the seed falls upon the path, hard, crusty ground, beaten down by life, and some of the seed falls upon rocky ground where there's no depth for the roots, and some of the seed falls upon 
thorny ground, and the weeds grow up, and they choke the life out of it, and some of the seed falls upon good, rich soil. And the seed takes root, and the plants grow, and it produces a harvest 30, 60, 100-fold, Jesus says. And then Jesus, a few verses later, explains the parable to us. He helps us to understand that, that this parable is talking about how different people receive the Word of God. Why it is that not everybody receives it in the same kind of way. And of course, that is part of the meaning of this parable. But for those of us who would identify with the good, rich soil, those of us who are Christians who believe we're trying to bear some fruit for the kingdom, there's another message in this parable that's important for us not to miss. It's a, para it's a message that talks about our lives. Because if truth be known, if truth be known, we're a whole lot more like that whole field than we are any one patch of good, rich soil. We're a whole lot more like that field with some hard, crusty corners. Even you, Paul, some hard, crusty corners. Since you raised your hand, you're perfect. So. <laughs> some hard, crusty corners and some rocky ground and some weeds that are popping up too. And yes, there's good, rich soil in us, but, but we're a whole lot more like that whole field. I mean, sometimes we think nothing's going to ever change. And God is sowing seed. Why? Because God is an eternal optimist. Sometimes you might think nothing good can ever come of this thing that I have been going through. And God is sowing seeds. Why? Because God is an eternal optimist. Sometimes we think the wound is too deep, the hurt is too great for it ever to heal. And God is sowing seeds. Why? God is an eternal optimist. Sometimes we think the behavior won't ever change. And I can't stop it. And God is sowing seeds. Why? Because God is an eternal optimist. Sometimes we think, I don't care what the gospel says. I have to think or believe or do this thing. And God is sowing seeds. Why? You know why. God is the eternal optimist, right? This past week in Bible study, we were taking a look at a very difficult scripture. It's one that caused us to have to think about the Christian life and the nature of sin and the question, is it possible for a Christian to get to a place where we stop sinning. And so let me ask you, is there anybody here who no longer sins? <laughs> okay. Or let me rephrase it. Is there anybody here who is always, first and foremost, concerned with the will of God? Whose heart is fully for carrying out the will of God? 
thoughts. Is there anybody here who, you know, never thinks a bad thought, much less acts a bad thought? Do you think it's possible to get to that place where we would never sin? Do you think it's possible that we get to that place where we would never, ever sin? Sower is sowing seeds even on that belief. And why? Because God is an eternal optimist. And if ever we were to say that we do not believe that we'll get to a place where we've been perfected in love or where our hearts and our desires are all for the things of God, that we'll never get to a place where we no longer sin. What we're saying is that there's something about our character or something about our behavior that has more power to resist God than God has to accomplish this in our lives. And do we really want to say that there's something in our lives that's more powerful than the work of God? I mean, God's at work in our lives with a purpose, with a goal, that we strive more and more for this thing that Wesley called Christian perfection. And God's not only at work in our lives, God's at work in their lives too. You know, them, those folks, those folks that the world gives up on, maybe we've given up on them too. Maybe we think it's too late for them. They're never going to change. Maybe we think they made their bed, they can lay in it. And God is sowing seeds, not only on their lives, but on our attitudes. And why? Because God is an eternal optimist. Earthly life. earthly life, we give up on people. Kingdom living, God keeps sowing seeds. Earthly life, we think it's too much to overcome. Kingdom living, God keeps sowing seeds. Earthly life, we think Nothing good could ever come of this. Kingdom living, God keeps sowing seeds. Earthly life, we think the mess is beyond hope. Kingdom living, God just keeps sowing seeds. Earthly life, we have little reason to hope that anything will ever change. Kingdom living, God just keeps sowing seeds. It's earthly life that we live. It's easy for us to start thinking, nothing's ever going to change. And without that hope, well, we just simply try to make it through as best we can. But kingdom living, God just keeps sowing those seeds. And they take root. Produce something, a harvest that one day will bring about a new creation. And here's the deal. 
while the world passively allows the world to spin the direction it's spinning, there's nothing passive about the Christian life. As Christians, we follow Jesus. And in following him, God is working these miracles, redeeming not just our life, but our whole life, everything about our life, until that day, until that day when we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, where we love each other with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, and not just us, but all people. God continues to work this until the day comes when we can stand pure, righteous, and holy before God. Not because we're capable of it, but because God is. Thanks be to God. Amen? Amen.